You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. It's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 10. And we're continuing on in our series through the gospel according to Matthew. And we're in part two of Jesus sending his disciples out. And he's giving them instructions. He's giving them warnings. He's giving them cautions. And these are all things that the Lord Jesus wants us to hear today too. As his disciples that are living on mission for him here in North Houston. And, you know, last week Jesus said so many helpful, encouraging, and insightful things about the two, two things we're supposed to be doing as disciples of Christ. You know, I think a lot of times what we're hearing through the Gospel of Matthew, and as I think about living in this area my whole life, is I think a lot of people, we know how to be churchgoers, but we don't know how to be disciples. And we've got to learn what does it mean to be a true disciple of Christ. And this is what Jesus is getting at, that my disciples have word ministry, they proclaim my kingdom is here, and they also have a good works ministry. They serve the poor, they love their neighbors. His disciples were healing, uh, prophesying, doing miracles, all kinds of things. And now Jesus is going to tell us, as I send you out on mission, here's one thing you have to know about being one of my disciples is that when you go on mission and live as my disciple, you will have troubles in this world. There's just no way around it. But even though we will have troubles, we have even more reasons to trust him because it is well with our soul. So let's begin reading in Matthew 10, beginning in verse 16. And if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the words of Christ as we do every week. And we hear these words just as though Jesus were sitting here among us speaking to us. Look, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. When they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in in one town, flee to the another. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher or slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. And if they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him 
who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now to bear witness about your son, to be faithful disciples of the risen king. So help us now, King Jesus. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, last week I, I told you about being a, a trainer at Starbucks and teaching people how to make lattes and frappuccinos and how to work the drive through And I'm going to continue that, that illustration now because there's another element that comes when you work at Starbucks or you work at any kind of customer service industry. And what is that? How to handle angry customers. This is, I don't know if you knew that, but people get angry at Starbucks. It happens. Uh, You have caffeine-depleted, twitchy people coming in, needing a fix. And what happens when they make their drink wrong? Who's ever gotten a wrong drink at Starbucks? Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. Yeah, a lot of us. You asked for a hot one, you got a cold one. You wanted a cold one, you got a hot one. They handed you someone else's drink in the drive-thru, and people get angry. Why? It's expensive, you're, you're taking stuff out of your 401k for this beverage, and it's wrong. And part of the training is how to navigate these situations. I remember working the drive-thru and teaching someone how to, how to work the drive-thru. And I see former Starbucks employees here, and they know how this, how this goes. And I remember this one customer coming in the drive-thru was cranky from the get-go was angry, um, rude, and all of that typical stuff. And then when she pulled up to the window, I knew her from church. Not this one, thanks be to God, but a different one. And I said, oh, hi. She says, oh, it's so good to see you. I'm thinking, not really. It's not. And then she leaves, and the guy I'm training goes, you know her? Yeah. How do you know her? You don't want to know how I know her. We encounter troubles in the world. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. If you're going to be my disciple, he's training us on the job. You will have troubles when you follow me. And the first one that we've got to really grasp and believe that it happens, Jesus says, look, you will face the trouble of persecution. There's no way around it. Paul tells us, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Look what Jesus says, beginning in verse 16. He says, look, your Bible might say, behold. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to miss this. Following me is gonna lead you to this. And look, I'm sending you out. It's very personal. Jesus is sending them, and he's sending us out, Matthew 28. Go, make disciples. Acts 1, you will be my witnesses. That's what he sent them out to do. You see this in verse 18. You will, you're out there to bear witness. That's our task too, to to bear witness of Christ. A lot of times we talk about doing ministry and that could be doing hospitality. It could be working at the Tomahawk Pregnancy Center. It could be serving in Redeemer Kids. But if you think about it, those are really not the ministry. That's an environment where ministry is happening. But what is actually happening? Bearing witness that there is someone who was crucified by Rome, 
And that same someone was raised from the dead and is now ruling over the universe at his Father's right hand. That's what we're bearing witness about in every ministry. The word and the work of Christ the Lord. But there's an issue now. Look what Jesus says. I'm sending you out like, here's the trouble, like sheep among wolves. Oh, that's encouraging. We know what this means. You have an enemy. You have someone who wants to attack you. And I want us to not, I don't want us to think about the typical thing here, like, oh, the world's gonna be so nasty. That's true. I want us to think of another angle about what Jesus is saying. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, not like wolves among wolves. But this is a lot of the posture that some Christians have. We gotta fight fire with fire. The world's gonna be nasty and rude. We gotta be nasty and rude back. Jesus says, no, you're out like sheep among wolves. The world and those who are against Christ, they can be rude, vindictive, nasty, mean, name-calling. Jesus says, not you. You're to be like sheep among wolves. But you look at Christians on social media and they act like wolves in, among the wolves. Don't return trouble for trouble. And where did we learn this from the most? From our teacher, whose disciple we are, the good shepherd. How, how did he act among wolves? When he was dragged before the courts. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and he opened not his mouth. He didn't call down a curse. He didn't return evil for evil. And so he absorbed the evil. He died on the cross and rose again, overcoming evil, showing us grace always wins. Grace always wins in the long run. In the midst of this trouble, he wants you and me to remember that being a disciple of Christ isn't a walk in the park. So hear me, if, if your discipleship with Christ has just been so easy in a walk in the park, it's because you haven't been faithful. It's because you haven't been a faithful witness. But Jesus also doesn't want us to be fools. I know sometimes we can talk about evangelism and being bold and being a witness. Like now I'm gonna go crazy. I'm gonna start sharing the gospel like crazy. Jesus says, hold on. I wanna caution you. Look at what he says. Since I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, second half of 16, therefore be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Man, Jesus is on an animal kick in this passage, okay? Sheep, wolves, serpents, doves. Now, he says, I want you to be as shrewd as serpents. Let's think about that for a second. This is confusing. Uh, are snakes usually good or bad animals in the Bible? Bad, good job, class. Well done. They're bad animals, and so why is Jesus saying, I want you guys to act like snakes? We know in Genesis chapter three, it says what? The serpent was the most cunning, the most shrewd, slippery animal that the Lord God had made. Well, this is what Jesus wants us to think about, something positive about snakes. He's getting our attention when he talks about snakes. Think about snakes. They're slippery, they're quick. They're hard to grab. You don't want to either. Have you ever been walking in your yard, you're mowing the grass, doing yard work, and you see a little grass snake? What happens? After you scream and do a little dance, what happens? The snake, gone. 
disappears. Over. Usually, snakes aren't looking for trouble. There's a couple that are looking for trouble, but not the normal snake. The normal snake wants to get away from you. It is not looking to have a shovel meet its skull. This is what Jesus is getting at. Snakes are smart. They aren't looking to draw attention. They aren't looking for trouble. They want to eat their mouse, eat their whatever, and move along. Jesus says, do the same thing in your evangelism. Right time, right place. Do what you need to do. Don't draw attention to yourself and then get out. Things get tricky. Things get crazy. You don't got to hang around. Get out of there. Knock the dust off your feet. We saw that last week. So you don't, and he says, so I want you to be, when he says shrewd, clever, wise, like a snake. So not the kind of evangelism like, like this, when your coworker says in July, oh, it's so hot today. Can you believe how hot it is? Don't go. You better get used to it. Because I know where you're going, the way you live. That, no, that's not shrewd as a serpent. Be wise. Be good, clever. Be smart. Don't stand up in a Starbucks and start yelling, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You are not John the Baptist. You are you. Because Jesus tempers it. He knows that we talk about snakes. We're going we're gonna to try to bring some venom to it. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Also, I want you to be like this, as innocent as doves. What a perfect bird here. Perfect. If he would have said seagulls, we would all be annoying evangelists. It's the most annoying bird on the planet. If he would have said hawks, be like hawks, we'd be looking to take people down. We would only read apologetics. We'd be looking to argue and win. If he would have said owls, we'd all try to be big-brained, no-heart kind of people. But doves. Has anyone ever been hurt by a dove? Anyone ever been admitted to the hospital or gone to counseling because of a dove encounter? No, they're, they're not predators. They're harmless. They eat seeds. Dove-like Christians aren't out to attack people. Dove-headed believers have a posture of grace and mercy. That's why they release them at weddings. They're not releasing owls and seagulls. They're supposed to have love and mercy and harmlessness even while we proclaim the foolishness of the cross. Graciousness even as we proclaim one way, one truth, and one life in Christ the Lord. Because he, he wants us to be like this knowing we're gonna get into trouble and it better be for his name and not because we're being jerks. Look at verse 22. Verse 18, he says, you're gonna be brought before people. Now, verse 22, you will be hated by everyone. And some Christians get hated because they're hateful. Some Christians get hated because they're mean, they're rude. But Jesus says what? You're gonna be hated by everyone because of my name. Just the name of Jesus, just ascribing and following that name will get you into trouble with people. And Jesus says, look at how this could happen. You could get into legal trouble, verse 17. They will hand you over to local courts, flog you, beat you, whip you in their synagogues. This happens to his disciples. You read the book of Acts, this happens. All of this happens in the book of Acts and in church history. We have Christians today all around the world. This is happening too. 
This feels so foreign and so strange to us because listen, it costs us almost nothing to follow Christ. If you're faithful, it costs you a tithe. It costs you a few hours on a Sunday morning. It costs us almost nothing to follow Jesus in the United States of America for now. But we are living in what many scholars say, a post-Christian country. It's going to cost you something soon and very soon. With some Christians and around the coasts and in some states that are more post-Christian, some Christians have been brought to court because of their seeking to follow out and testify and to bear witness faithfully of the name of Christ. But we have brothers and sisters in countries all around the world right now who are being physically persecuted by their own governments and by violent groups. And right now, the most recent report that was done in the UK says that the greatest persecution of Christians is happening, your, our brothers and sisters, that we have more in common with than American soldiers that are in these countries. We have more in common with these people. Their Christianity is being persecuted where it first exploded in places like the Middle East and Northern Africa. Syria, Iraq, Egypt, Northeast Nigeria. These places used to have 20% of the population used to be Christian. It has now dropped down to five because they're being run out of the country and because they're being slaughtered. Many are saying it's getting close to genocide. Violent threats, being crucified, general harassment, detention, imprisonment, legal discrimination, kidnapping, churches being bombed. And we can go on and on and on. When we read verses like this, it feels so detached from us because who has been physically persecuted here? Our brothers and sisters are. And it may come for us one day. And I wonder if a lot of us would even make it. Some of us can barely make it to church on Sunday morning. I don't think a lot of us would make it in Northeast Nigeria. We got good theology though. We got good songs though. I don't know if we'd make it in Sri Lanka. Jesus said, you will have troubles in this world. And what did Jesus say after that? But take heart. I have overcome the world. See, Jesus overcame the greatest thing that any oppressor of Christians could throw at us, which is what? Death. So like death, what? Jesus says, I've overcome that. Church history has a, when he rose from the dead, he, he overcame the greatest weapon the world has. And that's why he says now later, don't fear those who can kill a body. You're gonna get a new one, a better one. And church history has this awesome story. Listen to this. It's the story of a Christian who's being persecuted by Rome and the emperor is grilling him and says, give up Christ. If you don't, I'll banish you. The Christian replies, you cannot banish me from Christ for God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The emperor replies, fine, I'll confiscate all your property. The Christian says, my treasures are laid up in heaven. You can't touch them. The emperor says, fine, I'll kill you. The Christian says, I've been dead to the world in Christ for 40 years. My life is hidden with Christ in God. You can't touch it. The emperor, exasperated, turns to the councils and the courts and says and discuss, what can you do with such a fanatic? 
What can you do with such a fanatic? Nothing. He is now more than a conqueror through Christ the Lord. That is faith. That is clarity. That is trouble and trust in the midst of it. And I wonder, do you think he rehearsed those answers in his jail cell? Okay, he's going to say this. I'm going to say this. If he says that, I got this verse ready. No. What happens is, listen, it is totally normal and natural for us to want to avoid persecution. It is a sick, twisted mind that like, chases persecution. No. That's why he says, act like a snake. Go to a different town. Knock the dust off your feet. So it's totally normal and natural for us to be afraid of being persecuted. And now it is totally supernatural for disciples of Christ to say, I trust the Lord. I'm going forward. And that's what Jesus tells us next. While you will have trouble, trust the Spirit will be with you. Look at verse 18. So they're going to bring you before governors and kings to bear witness, 19. When they hand you over, look what he says. Don't worry about how or what you're to speak. You'll be given what to say at that very hour because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. So I I love this from Jesus. This is so helpful. Jesus knows his disciples are gonna be in situations where you have no idea how to navigate it. You don't know what to say. You don't have all the arguments. You don't have the answers. You're going to be caught off guard. You don't, you're going to have accusations, verbal attacks, questions that you're not ready for. And Jesus says, don't worry. The Holy Ghost has you covered. And I wish that we would really believe this. And we believe it's true, but we don't believe it's actually helpful or believe it's actually going to happen. Because if we did, every church would look a lot more like the book of Acts. We want the supernatural work of the Spirit. We want healing and we want miracles and we want wonders. And Jesus says, you want a supernatural work of the Spirit? Talk. Bear witness and watch the Spirit work in your life. Welcome it. One of the big reasons we don't bear witness of the risen Christ is because we don't know what to say. We don't know how to answer people's objections. We feel like we don't know the Bible well enough. But Jesus is lifting a burden off of your back, saying, I don't expect you to know everything. He doesn't expect us to know how to answer every question. Should you study? Yes. Should you learn? Yes. Should you trust the Holy Spirit? Yes. Jesus says, don't worry about how. Frame it. I'm going to package it and deliver it. I'm going to say it just like this at that time. Don't worry about how you're going to say it or what of it. He says, just speak. Why? Look, look what he says. You will be given what to say at that hour. It's like in spy movies. What's happening? Got a little earpiece in. Navigating the room. Info's being fed. That's the prince of uh, Tangier. Say this to him. You're going to find the briefcase over in the side corner behind that wall. Over there behind the painting. Getting fed information. But Jesus ramps it up. You're not just being told what to say. Look, 20. It isn't you speaking. It's not, it's my vocal cords, right? It's the sound waves emanating from my mouth, right? But who is doing it? The spirit of your father is speaking through you. 
not even just giving you what to say, but actually invading those sound waves flying out of your mouth and the spirit at work as you bear witness, as you share the gospel, as you evangelize. We talk about walking by faith. The scriptures use that metaphor, walk by faith, walk by faith. Jesus here says, I want all of you to now talk by faith. We're, we're comfortable using walk by faith, walk away from that sin, walk towards scripture reading, walk towards those things. Jesus now says, I want you to talk by faith. Bear witness. When will you finally talk by faith? And bear witness to somebody who I don't know how to say it. That's the point. It takes faith that the Holy Spirit is gonna be at work in and through you, giving you what to say, how to say it, when to say it. Just do it and see what happens. Bible verses will start coming to mind you've never read before. You've just heard. You'll, you'll start saying things that like, man, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's from the Holy Spirit. He's really good. It's not because we know the Bible so well. He's gonna work through you and he's gonna help you be a faithful witness of the risen Lord Jesus because that's what he loves to do. The Holy Spirit loves to make disciples and make much of Jesus. And he's gonna do it through you. He will help you be faithful. But know this, that doesn't always mean he'll help you be well-received. That's what Jesus says next. You will have trouble close to home. If you're faithful with Christ, you may have trouble in your family. Talking by faith, walking by faith. And we'll get you in trouble with those sometimes that are even closest to you. Jesus says in verse 21, look, Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Jesus says your own children may turn on you. Your own kin, your own family may turn on you. And you see this not so much in the United States, but definitely with brothers and sisters, Muslim backgrounds, Buddhist backgrounds. All around the world this is happening and people are making a decision, Christ or my family. And some of us are worried about having that kind of awkward conversation with a teenager to call them. No, this is what, you say you're a Christian, this is what Jesus is, is calling you to, he's gonna empower you to. And some of us are just like, oh, I don't wanna have that conversation with my, with my in-laws, I don't wanna have that conversation with my sister, it's just too much, things are fine the way they are. And Jesus says, no, things are not fine the way they are. You must bear witness about me. And it may mean the death of a relationship. It might mean the death of a friendship. It might mean the death of, in some parts of the world, it might mean your own death. But look at what Jesus says, 22. You'll be hated by everyone because of my name. And Jesus is saying, look, some of you, it's gonna be so intense and so hard to be faithful to Christ and you're gonna be tempted to give up. This isn't worth it. It was just way easier to do my own thing. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. And Jesus says, think again. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. So the, listen, the point of being a Christian isn't just so now I can go to heaven and that's where I'm headed. Jesus says, no, it is now enduring with me in the Christian life, walking with me till the end. Jesus knows some of them are gonna be tempted to eject. And some of you may think, that's just easier if I just keep quiet and don't have to go through this kinds of stuff and it's fine. Jesus says, endure with me. 
Real disciples endure till the end. Are you saved when you profess faith in Christ? It looks like it. Can't really tell. But those who endure till the end, Jesus says, I can tell. Genuine. They don't deny me, Paul says. If we deny him, he will deny us. So is an awkward conversation too much for you to endure? Is an awkward family dinner just, you'd rather have a peaceful Thanksgiving meal than be a faithful witness of the risen Christ? Which God do you serve? Jesus wants to let us know if we're faithful to him, we can't expect to be treated better than him. Look at verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher. That's him and us. He's our teacher. We're his disciples. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher or slave his master. Verse 25, it's enough for a disciple to become like his teacher. That's our goal. We want to be like him. We want to talk like him. We want to act like him. We want to love like him. We want to teach like him. And look what Jesus says. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? So here's what Jesus is saying. Guys, they call me Satan. They call me the prince of darkness. The world calls me the evil one. You think they're going to treat you better? You think you're going to be treated better than me? If we think we're better Christians than Christ, we're in trouble. The world, the world respects Jesus on a certain level. The world does not respect Christians. This is what Jesus is getting at. They call me Satan. How much worse do you think it's going to be for y'all? I've been healing people, doing stuff. The world respects me on a certain level, but you, my disciples, you will not be liked by everyone. You're going to imitate me. You're going to be like me. If they called me this, imagine what they're going to call you. They're going to call you worse. If, you're faith, if you are a faithful Christian, you will be disliked by someone at some point. You will lose friends. You will be brought before HR, maybe. You'll be told to stop talking. You'll be labeled, closed-minded, bigot, fanatic, stuck up in the past, on the wrong side of history, on and on and on. If that has never happened to you, what does that mean about your witness? Are you better than your teacher? Have you figured out how to navigate relationships in the world that, that Jesus hasn't? No, it's that we're not being faithful witnesses. What does that reveal about your discipleship with Jesus? If we are treated by the world better than Jesus was, woe to us. For friendship with the world, John says, is enmity with God. Trust God in the midst of our troubles. Whether they're close at home, in the office, we trust God over our troubles. This passage ends with three don'ts. You can see them. 26, don't be afraid. 28, don't fear those who kill the body. 31, don't be afraid. So it is natural. Jesus says, I know you're going to be afraid. 
but I'm going to help you. Don't be afraid of potential persecutors. Don't fear those who could kill you. Don't be afraid. He's affirming faithfulness will lead to troubles. But would you rather have troubles with the world or have troubles with the wrath of God? This is what Jesus is getting at. It's verse 28. Look, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This, this is not saying fear Satan. Sometimes it's how these verses get read. Oh, we should be afraid of Satan. No. Fear God over man. Revere God over man. Because if you show yourself to not be a true disciple of Christ, then you should fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell forever. Have you ever been peer pressured? I was peer pressured a lot in elementary school. I caved in. It's so much dumb stuff. Wetting paper towels and toilet paper, making little clods, throwing them all over the ceiling. I, have a, I was one of the first group of kids to ever get in-school suspension in spring elementary. They invented that for us. All because of peer pressure. Adults get peer pressure too. You get peer pressure to not say anything about Jesus. Just want to blend in. Don't want to rock the boat. High school students going off to college, you're going to be peer pressured. I'm not talking about drugs and alcohol. You're going to be peer pressured to not be faithful to Jesus. You're going to be peer pressured to think, oh, no, maybe he's not the way, the truth, and life. Maybe there's multiple ways. High school students are going to be pressured. You're going to be pressured every day in this world to just conform to the ways of this world. And just be glad you got your ticket stamped and you're going to heaven. But Jesus says, no, our big brother, our shepherd, our teacher says, bear witness about me. It's what he's saying in verse 28. Or now what you've heard in 27, what you heard as a whisper from me, proclaim it on the housetops. Don't hold that back. Knowing that if you're looked down, if you're hated, if you're despised, God is in control. That's what he's saying with this last bit about what? Animals again. Jesus loves animals. He really loves animals. Verse 29. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? These birds are dirt cheap. They're so cheap, it's two for one. Half a penny for one bird. And let's think about pennies. Has anyone, has anyone ever got out of their car in a parking lot because they saw a shiny Abraham Lincoln on the other side? No one stops for pennies. You have pennies under your seat in your car and you've left them there for years. Because who cares? It's a penny. But look, look at what Jesus says. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? What we perceive to be a pretty much worthless coin. Yet, not one of them, these birds. So now, half a penny. Yet not one of these half a penny birds falls to the ground without your father's consent. even as something as unimportant as one sparrow, half a penny dying, the father is involved. The father is there on his watch, under his consent, in his care. Our all-wise father, Jesus is reminding us, who never does anything wrong, his eye is on the sparrow, the old hymn, if you know that hymn. But I wanna, we gotta think about that hymn. 
We sing it, if you know it, his eyes on the sparrow. We take it as like this great, like, oh, it's so cool. He's watching all the birds, his eyes on the sparrow. But what is Jesus saying? His eyes on the sparrow when it, when it plunks its head into a tree and dies. That's what he's getting at. Not his eyes on the sparrow and he's, he's guiding it to its nest. This is his eyes on the sparrow and he gives the thumbs up for it to fall out of the tree and land on its head and die. Why is Jesus telling us this? Why is the sovereign care and providence and orchestration of God something we need to hear? Like what Jesus says. 30, but even the hairs of your head have all been counted. You don't know how many hairs on your head. For some of you, that's easier. But for most of us, we have no idea. You, and you know yourself the best. Out, there is no other human on planet Earth who knows you as well as you know you. And you don't know how many hairs are on your head. And don't you claim to love yourself? Don't you claim to take care of yourself? And the Father in heaven says, I know more about you than you could imagine. I, I know details that you perceive to be irrelevant. I know how many hairs are on your head. Who else knows that but me? So Jesus is showing us our Father loves us. He knows us. He cares for us. He even cares about how many silly hairs are on our head and how much it changes over the years as they recede. And so he tells us that to tell us verse 31. So don't be afraid of persecution, of troubles in this world. Why? You are worth more than many halfpenny birds. You are worth more. Not, not a sparrow falls and dies, cracks its skull without the father's hand involved. Not a blade of grass bends without the father's care. I love as R.C. Sproul says, there is not a maverick molecule in the universe. Why does that matter? Because when you are hated for the name of Christ, when you are despised, the Father's with you. The Father's leading you. The Father has you in his hands. And he is not allowing anything to happen to you as you bear witness to him. That's out of his control. You remember when Peter... Peter is going to betray Christ. And Jesus tells him, Satan's asked for you to sift you like wheat. What do you think Peter is thinking? You told him no, right? <laughs> Jesus says, when you are restored, strengthen the brothers. So he's going to, yeah, but you're going to make it and you're going to come back even stronger and you're going to be my strong and faithful witness for thousands. Same is going to happen for us. We will be hated. Relationships will die. We will lose friends, but it's not the end of the world because we have one who has overcome the world. And our Father's eye is on those who are worth more than many sparrows. Troubles will come, but let your trust in Christ follow right behind and you will be a faithful witness for him. I know you will. Christ is all. Let's pray. King Jesus, help us 
to be faithful witnesses for you. We don't want to be mere churchgoers. If that's all this church becomes, let's just shut it down. Let's be faithful witnesses, disciples of the risen Christ. We don't go looking for trouble, but we know trouble's looking for us. And we will endure because we have Christ the Lord. We have our Redeemer and our Redeemer lives. So help us, King Jesus, in our jobs and our homes and our families with our friends to talk by faith for your namesake, for our master, for our commander, Christ the Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. If you're serving the Lord's Supper today or you're in the band, I invite you to come forward now at this time. And as we go to the Lord's Supper, we do this every single week in remembrance of Christ. But there's also something happening while we eat the Lord's Supper. You are bearing witness. Every Christian that holds the cups, you are bearing witness that you believe in his cross, you believe in his death and his body nailed to a tree for you. And when you drink that cup, you are bearing witness to everyone else in this room. You're bearing witness to the world. You're bearing witness to the principalities and powers of this age that I have now been forgiven in Christ. What can you do to me? For the Lord has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and my, he has anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows as the cup of the new covenant. So bear witness as you eat and as you drink. And if, if you're not a Christian, I'm, I'm thrilled you're here. But I want to let you know that this cup, these cups, it's only for those who know Christ is their Lord and forgiven them from their sins. So if you haven't been forgiven, you can today. Just believe and trust in Christ, and he'll welcome you into his kingdom. If you are a Christian, grab a set of the cups. Bread is on bottom, juice is on top. I'll come back up and we'll eat and drink and bear witness together. Let's worship and let's enjoy and let's praise King Jesus. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.